may be seated. What a picture there that we, which we sing about that day when the salvation is completed. You know, salvation biblically is past, present, and future. The Apostle Paul uses, uh, speaks about salvation, not only the, the day that we were saved, which was Calvary when Jesus died, not only that today we are living out our salvation, which would be the present, but then the future, that day when He returns, when our salvation is complete. And so we, we, every time that we gather, we come not only to, to remember and celebrate where we've been, not, not only to encourage and support one another with where we are, but to look forward to that day when indeed all of God's beauty will break forth like the very beginning. And we will be with Him, with one another, without anything between us and between Him. That's what we look forward to every day that we gather. The passage this morning is in Philippians. A, a passage where uh, Paul hearkens to that, that same story, that, that basic cycle that, that cycle of death and resurrection. That, 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 that cycle of, of challenge that we have in the present day, but living and looking forward to that day when all will be made right. So Philippians chapter 2, found on page 954 in your pew Bible. I invite you uh, to turn there with me. Or you can follow on the screen. Chapter 2, starting with verse 1 through verse 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I, I used to think that uh, God didn't want us to be great. You know, he didn't want us to be successful. Those are sort of like bad words to be great and successful. Um, but used to, to think that, you know, not that we should be mediocre or lazy, but just that those were bad terms. Well, um, 
As I've thought about it, though, I realized that I was wrong. That God does want us to be great. He does want us to be successful. Um, I just had the wrong definition. Mr. Verhagen, over here, will you do me a favor? You got a Bible over there in front of you somewhere? Yeah. Um, Matthew 23, 11 through 12. Will you look that up for me? Thank you. And when you get there, will you read that for me? Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Thank you. The greatest among you will be your servant. See, the problem isn't that God didn't want us to be great. It's that I had the wrong definition of great. God's definition of great is that we will be servants. The, the one who will be exalted is the one who is humble. And that's what he's, Paul is exalting here. Our call to be a servant. Our call to be humble. That in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the kingdom, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, the way that we are to live, what we are to pursue, what is to be our ambition, is to be great in the eyes of God, which is to be a servant for the world. We've been praying that all summer as we've been uh, praying our jubilee prayer that God would connect us as, as one in Jesus. He would um, lead us to, to serve the world like Jesus and that He would enable us to celebrate Jesus no matter the circumstances. And really, that's really the outline of this passage almost. Paul, as he did in almost every of his, one of his letters, was calling the people to be unified, calling them to be one. Then the, the second part of the service says, you're to be a servant like Jesus was a servant. And then at the end, he celebrates the glorious day of Jesus um, when he will uh, ascend to the throne and every knee will bow before him to celebrate him. But what I want us to focus on is the middle part. The, the, the middle part about serving the world like Jesus. Now, the... Uh, it's interesting, if you, if you look in verses 2 and verses 5, what the most common word there Paul uses is, is mind. And he's telling the Philippians, have the same mind in yourselves, among yourselves. Be of one mind. And, and I would think that that call of unity would be have a mind that would maybe be a list of beliefs. You know, a list of, a list of preferences, a list of actions you're to take. But that's not what he's saying. You're to have one mind, and that mind that you are to have is the mind of Christ. As you pursue the mind of Christ, you will be drawn together. What exactly does he mean by that mind? What is, that, what is characterized by that mind? Well, verses 3 and 4 give us a little hint. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's another one of those just classic biblical phrases that are really hard, easy to understand. Put aside your own personal ambition. 
put it aside and pursue what is best for others around you. That's what he's saying. The really hard part is doing it. The really hard part is, the, the, is carrying that out. Is truly loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Is loving our neighbor's children as much as we love ourselves. Is loving our refrigerator, loving their, wanting them to have a refrigerator as much as we want to have a refrigerator. Wanting them to have a comfortable bed as much as we have a comfortable bed. And that's what he's saying. That's the heart that he's calling us to. To put aside everything else about others, but to serve them in the way of Jesus. It is not what he's calling us to our isolated service projects. To an occasional service action during the holidays. You know, something that looks good on the resume. Something that you can put on your college application. Or a nice gathering that you know you can get the press to come to and get you on the front page, maybe of the local section or the neighborhood section, or even a little 30-minute, 30-second video on the news. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about developing a heart like Jesus. He's talking about us together, individually, developing a heart like Jesus. couple, uh, about a month ago now, about a month ago now, I was walking through the atrium, it was during the week, and whoever was working the front desk said to me, there's some, there's some boys, it was during the week, there's some boys smoking in the driveway, you know, in between us and Hill Rise. And as I reflect over my response at that time, it was one of anger and fear. It was not the response of Jesus. Anger, because the anger was, you know, why are they interrupting my day? I've got a lot of things to do. It is full and this is just an interruption. I didn't say it out loud. Almost. And then a fear. Well, what's going on? I mean, what are they doing? What are people going to say if they drive by? So my response was, call the police. Now, it's possible that that response was a good one. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the heart. What would Jesus' heart have been? If Jesus' heart had been in me, a a heart of service had been in me, then what would he have done? Well, let me tell you what helped me to consider that, to think about that. But I thought, well, what if it were my son or any of you teenage boys out there? What would I have done? Anger probably would have been an emotion. But I wouldn't have responded the way that I did. It wasn't an anger out of you're in my way. It would have been an anger of what in the world are you doing? Why are you wasting this time? Why are you doing this? Why are you giving your life to this wasteful would have been that kind of anger. And it would have been a desire to enter into their lives and say, come on, let's, let's pursue what is good. Let's pursue what is helpful. Let's pursue what is life-giving. And you know, that would have been Jesus' response 
to those boys. It wouldn't have been the anger and fear that I faced. It would have been an anger and a servant heart to interact with them and invite them into a way of life that is full. So I recognized eventually as things took a little longer than 60 seconds. But in time, the Spirit, amen, rested on me. Not quite that loud. It would have been good though. And I got up. I said, I need to go talk to them. By the time I got there, they were gone. I don't think any of that mattered. I think what it was all Jesus saying to me, How's your heart with me today? So he calls us, Paul does, to be a servant like Jesus. To set aside my own personal agenda, my own desires and benefits, to serve the benefits of others. Verse 5, Let the same mind that was in you Be in you, that was in Christ Jesus. And here is that mind. Who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He was of the character, of the the form, of the, the, the nature of God, the creator of the universe. High and lifted up. The one we just sang about. High and lifted up. Indescribable. And yet the very nature of God was not something that was to be exploited. To be used for God's benefit. To be hoarded. God is not one that hoards. God is not one that exploits. does not use others for God's benefit. But God's very nature is one that gives. God's very nature is one that is willing to take a risk, even to be humiliated for our benefit. That's exactly what he's saying here, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was God, and then he became human. God, the creator, became part of the creation. It would be as if you became a chair that you're sitting on. Willingly becoming part of the creation. And not just that, not just becoming part of the creation, because he could have become part of the creation, but been a king or a rock star, something. But what he ended up being was the most despised position of humanity, and that was dying on a cross. That was the form of execution that the most heinous criminals received. I mean, to, to be on a cross would have been the same guttural reaction that we would have if we consider a, a child molester or a sexual predator. That was their punishment. And that is the nature of the servanthood of Jesus that comes all the way from there to all the way to here. One that puts aside his own interests for the interests of others. 
And that's what we desire as individuals and as a church. Now, when we were talking about this couple, whenever we were playing this eight, nine, ten weeks ago, on Tuesday night, a group of us, you know, as we were talking about it and reading through it and all, man, we just sort of picked our heads up, looked at each other, and you could almost hear the sigh in the room, the, 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 the weight of such a call, of such a charge. Whoa, who can do that? Nobody. This isn't about pushing a button. This isn't about just sort of going and getting enough will and strength to go be a servant like Jesus. This is We do not do the heavy lifting here. Jesus has already done it. We simply surrender. Like a baby at the waters of baptism. We simply receive God's Spirit and welcome Him in to change our hearts. This is about a whole lifelong journey of transformation for us. We don't ever arrive. We don't ever get there until that day comes. As we were just singing about, when He returns high and lifted up. That's when it all is completed. We stand here not because we're good enough, but because He is good enough. Yeah, it's a heavy burden to look and consider this. But remember, we are here in grace and grace alone because He is the perfect servant. He has totally secured our forgiveness. And now we follow Him on a journey, a lifelong journey of Him developing a servant's heart within us. Even Jesus didn't do it instantaneously. I mean, look at Luke. Look at Hebrews. The author of Hebrews. Both of them say Jesus grew in wisdom. Amen. He matured. He learned obedience. Oh, he can stay. It's okay with me. That's the journey of spiritual formation. Developing that heart of Jesus within us. Individually and corporately. Which entails us dying. Us becoming like babies at the waters of baptism. Us becoming like a teenager. Dying to Christ, in Christ, in order to be raised in Christ. It entails an unencumbered developing trust. Because if this is, if, if, Paul is serious. If we're to be a servant like Paul, then, and we don't take any concern for our own interests, well, I want to know one thing. Who's going to take care of me if I'm not? And Jesus is the model. I mean, he basically was asking the same thing in the garden, right? Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Yours be done. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of you? Who's going to take care of us? The Father. The Father will take care of us. In the waters of baptism, we are surrendering to His love and His care. Our call is simply just to take the next step as He develops that heart within us. To take that, that, that step of, of serving others. Whatever we're capable and able to do. Wherever we are right now, we take that next step and we serve as best we can according to the character of Jesus. And you know what happens? We meet Jesus there. 
That's what he said, Matthew 25, as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. Jesus said that. He's already there. As we serve, we see him. As Mother Teresa said, she saw Jesus clear, most clearly in the eyes of the poor. Now, what some of the, the, the easy on-ramps, the easy access that, that God has provided for us to do here, that we've been highlighting this summer and fall, one or tutoring, treehouse and whiz kids, where we simply come along children in our community who are in need. Pleasant Hill School, whiz kids on Wednesday night, treehouses with College Hill Fundamental here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Pleasant Hill has already identified 60 children that are so far behind that they need help now or they'll never catch up. So far we have 24 tutors. That's great. What a great, simple opportunity to take a step to serve like Jesus.